elders and deacons, ladies and gents, children of Christ. Today we will hear a message, for I have the pride, the privilege, nay, the pleasure of introducing a pastor sired by pastors, a pastor who can trace his lineage back to the rock. I first met him atop a mountain in Jerusalem, praying to God for forgiveness for the embarrassing number of threes he rained down upon a young LeBron's head in a street game. Next, I saw him saving souls from the enemy and sowing good seeds in the heartland. Then in Florida, he spent a year in silence just to better understand his parishioner's accent. Without further gilding the lily and no more ado, I, may I introduce to you Moses to Aaron, the man on fire, the 13th apostle, David Creek! I don't know if you've ever really considered it before, but we as people have come up with all kinds of expressions that we use in all kinds of ways. And, and it seems like a lot of these expressions sometimes really have a tendency of betraying what we've said before. And I'll give us a couple examples of this. Have you ever been approached by another person who had initiated some kind of a conversation with you with these specific words? No offense. And then the very next word out of their mouth is the word, but. And that can be used in a good way sometimes, but it's been my experience that whenever I hear a person say, no offense, but, what are they about to do? They're, they're about to say something that is completely and utterly offensive. It seems like just as long as I say, no offense, then that gives me some kind of a literary license to then say something as, as offensively as I wish to. Another one that, that I've heard quite a bit throughout the, the years is, listen, no disrespect, however, or but. And anytime I hear a person speaking about me like that, and they start a sentence with, with no disrespect, I, I like to completely interrupt that person. I cut them off and I say, I smell a but. It's like, just get to the part that you really want to get to. The only part that you actually mean, which is saying something very calculating and disrespectful to another person. I mean, let's be honest. Or how about this one? I'm not a sexist, but I'm not a racist. However, and whenever I hear anybody start a sentence in that way, I almost always want to say, Please don't finish that sentence because anything good rarely, if ever, comes once we have, start, once we have started a sentence in that way. I and mean, we just have all kinds of expressions that, that have a tendency of betraying us. But, but as we will see in Matthew chapter 5, more to the point of what we will see this morning, if we listen very, very carefully in the, in the conversations going um, around us all week long, maybe even coming out of our own mouths on occasion, is the phrase, well, to be perfectly honest with you, and then we, we make some kind of a statement, 
What does that imply? Does that not imply whether whether right or wrong that 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 everything that I said just before now I very well may have been lying through my teeth but but now I am really going to start speaking what's true. And so as we will see in Matthew chapter 5 now as we go further in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, a Sermon on the Mount Christianity, Jesus is going to, to now shift and he transitions to oaths or to swearing and to being trustworthy individuals. And there in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33, Jesus says that again you have heard that the ancients were told that you shall not make false vows, but, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. And yet, as his habit has been in these, um, in these last many lessons, he says then, after he has shown what the religious convention is, now he says, but I say to you, this is completely brand new stuff, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of, of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, or your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one, the word of the Lord. And I know that for a very long time, the response of the American church, almost completely across the realm of Christendom, has been this. That, okay, Jesus is saying that if you're ever in this very rare circumstance where you are in court for some reason and they want you to swear on a Bible that you have to cite this verse and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And yet there is so much more to this passage than American courtrooms. In fact, it's got nothing to do with American courtrooms, at least as Jesus says this. Really, what Jesus is speaking about is not so much in a courtroom, but in our everyday dialogue, in our everyday conversations that we have with others. I mean, we, we even remember, just before Jesus is, is led away so that he could be crucified, we remember him standing before the high priest Caiaphas, and Caiaphas says very, very weighty words, that I adjure you by the living God, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And eventually Jesus has to respond to this. And he does not remain silent the entire time. Eventually he says, and he affirms it, he says, you have said so yourself. And so this is so much more than just mere courtroom language that Jesus is, is referring to here. And so in order for us to entirely understand just exactly what Jesus is speaking about, we have to have a foundation. We, we have to understand just exactly what, what swearing oaths were in this first century time. But I would like to go back even further than that to the Old Covenant days, Old Testament days, Old Testament times. And what we see in the very beginning as far as oaths and swearing is concerned. What we would find in at least its inception is that you would have a person who is wanting to absolutely positively remove all doubts 
that they are making a promise to another person. And so what, what would happen a lot of time is that you would invoke something that is very sacred, something that is very sacrosanct, something that is very holy of just vast magnitude and importance. And so what we find in the pages of those old covenantal times is, is for instance, we see Abraham speaking to Abimelech. And Abraham swears before Abimelech, Abimelech, I swear that I will deal kindly with you. We fast forward at least a little bit of time and we come into the days of Joseph. Joseph, in, in the December of his life, makes the entire nation of Israel swear before him that when he has died, that they will carry his bones out of Egypt into the wilderness. And the entire nation of Israel swears, yes, Joseph, we will do this. And yet, the very first instance of anybody swearing in, in Scripture, did you know that God himself swore something to Abraham? As the Hebrew writer reminisces on, on these events, he says in chapter 6, starting in verse 13, it says, For when God made the promise to Abraham about his descendants, about his seed, about his family line, Notice how it says, since God could not swear by anyone greater, obviously, God swore by himself, saying that I will surely bless you and I shall multiply you on, on the face of this earth. And so what God is doing in this sense is that, Abraham, I swear to you that this will come about. And in all of these examples, what we see is someone who is clarifying a promise in the clearest, most unmistakable way that they possibly could to where there, there would be zero misunderstanding about this promise that I have just now made to you. And yet, as we also see in these examples, though, as, as each one of these individuals had swore to another person, they were really setting their hearts at ease that, that listen, you've got nothing to worry about. I am making this, this assurance to you, and I promise that it will be just as I have said. And so this was what the intention was originally of this business of, of um, swearing oaths to other people. And yet the thing, though, about swearing oaths to other people is that under Jewish law, this was something that was extremely binding in a legal sense. I mean, extremely binding. And a prime example jumps out at mine much later on in the pages of history as we now come into a reign of King Herod. King Herod has reason to extremely dislike John, or rather John the Baptist. John the Baptist has publicly called him out for his affair with a woman whose name is Herodias. But now John is now in prison as a result of this. And yet, Her and yet Herodias has a daughter who is entertaining everybody there, there in the king's chamber, in his palace. And she does such an incredible job at, as a dancer that the King Herod, he just blurts out this extravagant oath that he swears in front of all of these witnesses. What does he say? He says that I swear that I will give you whatever it is that you ask me for. I mean, he just waves a blank check around like anything that you want, it's yours because of your performance. 
And yet, even though he had reason to detest John the Baptist and even maybe even have him put to death, in the text, in Matthew's gospel, clearly he does not yet want to execute him because he fears the people. Likewise, it also says that, that though it grieved him to his heart, when the mother, when, when Herodias whispers in her daughter's ear, this is what you need to do. And she comes before King Herod and says that I want on a platter the head of John the Baptist. You see, King Herod, even evil, corrupt, wicked King Herod is grieved in his heart about this. But it says that because of the crowds and because of the oath that he made, he had to accommodate what, literally whatever she had just asked for. And we can read all throughout in the law of Moses about how if you make an oath, you had better keep it because God is looking upon that oath. And a failure to, to live up to what you have promised to another person, as it says in the law, that is sin. And so this was something which was legally binding. And so really what the problem was is that as, as Jesus walks this earth in the first century, he steps into a society that, that for a very long time has been very flippant about oaths. Now, if the rabbis in this first century climate were as relaxed as they were about divorce and about lusting after other women who were not their wives, we can just imagine how much more flippant and relaxed that they were about oaths. Now, to the rabbi's credit, where, where they, as well as all of the Hebrew people at large, did very well was that they looked at God's name and they knew that command number three is do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. And so what they deducted was we cannot ever swear by the name of Yahweh. His name is just so holy that we cannot even speak it in a casual sense. And if you come across Jews to this day, Orthodox Jews, even Jewish Christians, many of them to this day, if they have to write God's name out, they will write G followed by a slash in the middle and a D because even writing his name to them is something that you must not do in a casual sense. And I love that so much. And if I could be honest, I'm just kidding, but... I mean, this is just something that, that I wish was, uh, was in so many ways a part of our own tradition, that we would view God's name the way that they would. But here's where they went wrong, though. Where they went wrong was, no, we cannot take God's name in vain, but, however, you can swear by the next closest thing, and that is going to be just fine in the eyes of God. And so what do we find, especially in this first century time as Jesus walks the earth, people swearing by, by heaven, by Jerusalem, by, by God's temple, by you know, the holy city, by all kinds of things, even as Jesus says here, heads and by the earth. And so what, what a common perception was, at least in terms of, of a great deal of the rabbis, was that, listen, Unless you have made an oath according to something sacred, you really don't have to tell the truth. 
It's only when you have made an oath and you have swore by something that is sacred, which is somehow connected to God, then and only then do you really have to tell the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And in fact, by the time we get into Matthew and there, I'm in, I'm in chapter 23. I'd like to go to that here for a moment. Matthew chapter 23. This, of course, is, is that chapter where, where Jesus is pronouncing his woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees. And notice particularly what he, he mentions about um, swearing and about vows. I'd like to start in verse 16. Jesus says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say that whoever swears by the temple, well, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, then and only then they are obligated. Jesus uses very strong words, you fools and blind men. Which is more important? The gold of the temple, or rather, which is more important, the gold or the temple that had sanctified the gold? Then he also says that you say that, that whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing at all. But whoever swears by the offering on it, then he is obligated. Jesus again repeats himself and he says, You blind men, which is more important? The offering or the altar that, that is sanctifying that offering? Then he says, Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, notice, swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by the God who dwells within it. And whoever swears even by, by heaven swears both, both by the throne of God and by him who is seated upon it. Here is what was going on among many of the rabbis in this age. There were people coming up to them saying that, that I thought we had an agreement here. That you swore according to the temple that you would do X or Y, but you have not done it. And many of these, these scribes and Pharisees would then smirk and they would say, no, 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 I swore according to the temple. That's nothing. Now, if I were, if I had sworn according to the gold inside the temple or the offering upon the altar, then I would have been obligated. But because of this very minor technicality that I've come up with in my own mind, that I am absolved from having to fulfill what, what I promised you. Jesus says, this is nonsense. Jesus says, your word means absolutely nothing. These people were not trustworthy. And we see this in the days of so many of the prophets, Hosea, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Malachi, that, 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 that in addition to idolatry, one of the main problems of corruption in God's nation is that they were making false vows. And so Jesus is coming now to, to completely change the, the landscape of his so-called people and, and God's sons and daughters. And yet it's something that, that still continues in the world of today, isn't it? Because again, if you, you listen very closely and very carefully, you will hear almost on a daily basis, either directly or, or on television or in Washington in some way, shape, or form, I swear on the graves of my children. In a movie once, I even heard a guy say, I swear on the wife and the kids. 
Or maybe I swear on a stack of holy Bibles. Or the most commonplace oath that which we hear in the world of today, I swear to God, I swear to God that, that I am saying what is true. And I don't know, but it just seems like any time that I hear any sentence starting in that way, I feel like it is just a transition to a, to a bold-faced lie. And that's because after all, we are living in a very dishonest world. Where as long as you, you lie to another person, where just as long as you have a hand behind your back and your fingers are crossed, then that technically is not a lie. It's just a little white lie, you see. There are a lot of people in the world who look at, at lying, even in the church. I mean, come on, even in the church as some kind of a victimless crime that's, that's not exactly as serious as a sin as other sins might be. <laughs> you know, I remember when Clinton, um, it was Bill um, Clinton, when, when he had gone before cameras and when he had admitted that, that he had lied about that whole Monica Lewinsky circus. And yet I remember not long after that, I saw a lot of shirts and stickers on cars that, that had said, when Clinton lied, Nobody died. When Clinton lied, nobody died. Lying is a victimless crime. That's not exactly a sin in comparison to other things. And yet that is not at all the way that God views this. One writer who I read in this past week had written that, that the whole reason why such oaths arise in our world is because men so often are shown to be complete liars. Well, that's the bad news of our world. And yet there is good news for us this morning. And that good news for us this morning is that there is a voice of truth in a world of deception and dishonesty. And yet the, the existence of that source might just surprise us. Because the first half of that is that we serve a God of absolute truth. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the way. The, and then he says that, that I am the truth. That my very name is truth with a capital T. And yet the other half of that is that, is that the good news in a world of deception and dishonesty is that we ourselves, as extensions of Jesus Christ, as impersonators of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, we are at least designed and intentioned by God to be a voice of truth in a world of deception. As Jesus says, anything beyond yes or no comes from the evil one. And we know that, that just as we speak English as our native language, Jesus speaking about our adversary says in John chapter 8 that whenever he lies, he is speaking his native language. Hear how strong a description that is of our adversary, Satan. Where every single time his mouth is open, what is he doing? He's lying. He's telling half-truths. And yet, what is Jesus saying to us here this morning? 
He's saying that whenever the mouth of a Christian is open, that should be the exact and total opposite of when the evil one's mouth is speaking. Or when non-Christians' mouths are open in this world, as they climb ladders and as they stab backs, as they want to you know, experience more money and to live the American dream. On the contrary, Christians must be the voice of trustworthiness and of truth-telling in a world of lies and of, of deception. What Jesus is saying to these people 2,000 plus years ago, what he's saying to, to you and to I this morning, is that you do not have to promise with a cherry on top that you are really going to, to speak the truth now. And yet also Jesus says that, that how swearing of all kind in this way, swearing oaths, of any kind is is irreverence towards God because notice in the text how he says that that it does not matter if you swear an oath according to heaven that is still God's kingdom where where his throne is it doesn't matter if you swear according to this world because it is God's footstool it doesn't matter if you swear according to Jerusalem that is God's holy city it doesn't matter if you swear according to your own head, or in other words, your very life. You bear the imprint of the divine. You were made and constructed in the image of the living God. So no matter what we are swearing to in this religious grandiose sense, we are irreverently swearing in the name of God. And really, what we need to understand about this, this voice of truth in us is that as we seek to be a Sermon on the Mount kind of church, as you and I individually aspire to be a Sermon on the Mount kind of Christian, we serve a God who we know keeps His promises. We serve a God where, where really one of the, the very few things that our God is incapable of doing is that He cannot lie to us. God cannot lie to us. And I believe the reason why Jesus is devoting his energy to addressing swearing oaths in his very monumental Sermon on the Mount is because he knows, and we also must likewise understand, that the good news ceases to be good news when a Christian is looked upon as being untrustworthy. And my heart really empathizes with the Apostle Peter. Because we remember him making very, very lofty promises to Jesus. He waves around a blank check and he says, Jesus, I promise I will never deny you. And he doubles down on it. He says, Lord, I am willing to go into jail with you tonight, into prison. Then he doubles down even more as he says, Lord, I am willing to even die with you tonight. If that's what it's going to call for, I will rather die with you than to ever say that I never knew you. And yet Peter, with all the intentions in the world, is just as human as you and I are. Just as susceptible to, to draft a check with his big mouth that he could not cash or come through with. Because just a few hours later, what is Peter doing there out in front of the fire? 
See, I believe one very incredible detail that is so often overlooked in terms of, of why he was weeping as bitterly as he was in front of that fire is because when he is denying that he knew Jesus, he is swearing by an oath that I do not know Jesus. If we read that text in color, what Peter is really actually saying is that I swear by the temple by heaven, by Jerusalem, by the earth. I swear by my own head. I swear by the gold in the temple of Jerusalem. I do not know the man who you are talking about. Peter swore with an oath exactly what Jesus had said not to do right here on the Sermon on the Mount when he denied Jesus. And for a moment, I just want to go back to exactly what an oath was intended to be. It means that you are absolutely positively removing all sense of doubt that you are making a promise to another person where there is zero misunderstanding that, that this, is, this is the fact of the matter right here. I swear to God, I never knew Jesus Christ, that, that, that man who you're talking about. Maybe now we can understand why he was weeping as bitterly as he was. And why really he is just like you and me so many times in our life, in our past. And yet, I believe Peter remembered Jesus saying these following words. And you and I, let us hear these words of Jesus as he says, but I say to you, when Jesus says, but I say to you, this is something that is brand new. It, it is revolutionary. It is a dangerous ideal, but it will change the world that we live in forever if we will actually put it into our practice in our lives. And that is, but I say to you, that it doesn't matter what the religious convention around us is doing or is following as a means of tradition. Listen to my voice, Jesus is saying. It doesn't matter how corrupt or how overrun Washington is in lies and deception and fraud. As Christian men, as Christian women, you are the ones who are to speak and to defend and to uphold the very essence of that which is true. Whether you are seated in a courtroom as a witness or you are seated in a Burger King on a Tuesday morning. Wherever we are, wherever our mouths are moving, speak that which is true, Jesus says. Let your yes be yes. And let your no simply be no. So I just want to ask us a question. And that question is simply, what are your buts? And what I mean by that is that in the Gospel of Luke, there were at least a couple of people who had approached Jesus saying, Lord, I will follow you wherever you will go. And yet, what was the very next word out of their mouth? Lord, I will follow you, but first. I mean, I, I sympathize with them. In fact, I even empathize with them because I've been there many times myself. It's good to, to say, even to, to feel, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That's good. And yet the moment that we say, but first, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if we have a father or, 
or a mother who is dying. It doesn't matter if we have business to attend to back home. But first, just, just has contradicted everything that, that we have said about following Jesus. Maybe for you this morning, what your but is, is that, Lord, I will follow you wherever you, you are going to go. But first, I really want to follow my own desires right now. Lord, I, I will love you more than anything in this, this, this life. But first, I want to love the world for just a little bit longer right now. Lord, I will, will follow in your footsteps to the point of loving my neighbor as myself. However, or but, I will only love the ones who look like me, who come from my country, who speak my language, who vote the way that I vote. Jesus says, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. And I close with this thought this morning. It was quite a few years back when my dad had been working in a warehouse and he was a supervisor in this warehouse and on this one day he had to call a certain man who he worked with aside and he kind of had to reprimand him a little bit as his job had required in that spot well this other guy goes over his head to the manager of this plant and he comes up to them with this big grandiose story about how Mike Creek was cursing me out and saying all kinds of vulgarities to me and, and reprimanding me in this very sharp, abrasive way. And he was humiliating me with all these obscenities and along those kind of lines. And the whole time, as soon as he starts telling the story, my dad's manager is just standing there looking at him. He lets them get the whole story out. And then finally, when, when he's done, what the manager had said in response is, you're lying. You see, I know that you're lying because I have been trying to get Mike Creek to, to curse for three or four years now. And yet I'm telling you right now that he will not do it because he is a man of God. He is a man who lives his life for Jesus Christ. And you see, one of the most beautiful ways, one of the most unique ways that we stand apart in this world in such a rare and beautiful form is when we, we decide to be those, those very rare people upon the face of this earth who, who will tenaciously speak what is true who will tenaciously walk into any room seeking to breathe life into that room rather than darkness and death. And when this world sees that, even pagans on the streets, who very likely never even gave, gave God another thought, can look upon us and say, that is a Christian right there. Whenever his mouth is open, he's breathing life into the world. He's speaking that which is true. Let your yes be yes, Jesus says, and let your no be.